Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, I mean, yeah, because my, my favorite thing that I've, I've... My favorite thing we've talked about before I'd even got here was when I emailed you and said, I don't know that much about what your job is. <laughs> and you replied, I wish more interviewers. <laughs> yes. No, I do. I, 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 would, I would love it if more people who were coming from a position of relative ignorance just admitted they were coming from a point of... And I, I mean this for myself as well. Like, I, I'm one of those people who will sort of bluff that I saw something or know, right. know, know something uh, and wait and hope that I pick it up in the course thing. And that doesn't benefit me. That means I spend the next two minutes of conversation trying to discern information yeah. that they'd happily give me as exposition. I, I think the word ignorance has got a bad rep. Yeah. So I don't like thinking about it as if I'm coming from a place of ignorance. I like to think of it as I want to learn. A place of curiosity. A place of cu- That's better. I yeah. like that. So, Mike, okay, let's let's start here then. How you're a script editor mm-hmm. by trade, yeah, and a, and a writer, but a, a predominantly script editor. Yes, definitely. But I'm just just by virtue of my income, that would be true. Okay, fine. Yeah. Um, what is that? Okay, your own definition. So, I define a script editor about three different ways because there isn't <laughs> there isn't one. It's a, it's a it's a title that covers a multitude of sins. It's the same in the same way that producer does. Frankly, there are producers who oversaw something for the channel. There are producers who dealt with the budget on a day to day basis. There are producers whose input is wholly creative or mostly creative and not very much to do with the money at all. There's such a, a, a set of levels to that. So once upon a time, I tweeted this thing, and now I've kind of. I've decided to saddle myself with it permanently is how I will describe this. So there's three kinds of script editor in the world, very broadly speaking. There's a conduit, and the conduit script editor is the one who ferries feedback backwards and forwards. Like if you work on doctors, you've got to get who's available and what, and what soap opera stories are happening that week to the writer. When the writer delivers the draft, you've got to get that writer to the right producers, and then they will do feedback and changes and suggestions, and you have to ferry those notes back there's a lot of admin that goes with that job, which is not to say it's a not creative job, because depending on the show and depending on whatever, the, there is absolutely a, do you want to kind of maybe try it in this vein or this vein? or This is more the kind of show that we make. But still, you're ferrying someone else's vision back to the writer. We are this kind of show, not this is the kind of script I want you to write because I want the show to be this. So it's this kind of constant back and forth of information and, and opinion and... 
telling the get, getting the writer's take back to the produ- production. So it's kind of a conduit role. It's very admin-y. It's very kind of, you know, we have to deal with this soap element. We have to do, have this story running through. So you need to get from this plot point to this plot point. I kind of like that. As a writer, I did one episode of Doctors. And I did, you get those, we need to get this person to be dating this guy by the end of the episode. So she's got to meet him and something's cool has got to happen. And think, that's kind of, that's nice. That's a nice little challenge for you. Make that interesting. Conduits. There's uh, contributors, which are very typical in comedy, I think, more than anywhere else. And that's... Maybe that's happening slightly less now, but there was a time when you wanted somebody else to come in and put a load more jokes in the script, but you also didn't want to give them a writer credit. <laughs> and the way to kind of duck around that is to say, well, they script edited the show. You know, they did feedback and they did thoughts and then the thing, but also they whacked in 50 jokes and I picked the ones that I liked and kept them. Um, it's a contributor role. It's contributing to the writing. Um, these days, actually, you know, you look at like the credits for Miranda have additional writers credits at the end. They do kind of nudge things in that direction. And the one season that I script edited, I script edited. I didn't do a lot of pitching in for jokes. It was story, 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 structure, structure, character, character. And that's the third type. That's the the consultant. That's what I do. The uh, script consultant, where what you are is a script editor who sees what the writer is trying to do. And your job is to get them to the best version of the thing they're already trying to write. It's not to come in with somebody else's vision or your own and say it should be this. It's not to pad it up with gags and extra bits just to keep it busy and fun and whatever. It's to go, oh, I see what you're trying to do there. That that payoff is to that thing that you set up earlier. The problem is nobody noticed that we set that thing up. So let's get that rollicking. Let's have a scene in the middle that winds that up and makes it louder in the mix so that people remember it so that when it hits at the end, you go, oh, of course. Structure character work, making sure that people know where a character is coming from, why they do a thing that they do, because comedy tends to work best when your feet are firmly planted and you know what's going on. If you know that someone is super cocky when he goes to chat up a woman, you could anticipate a certain kind of action and response. Oh, he's too cocky. The problem is he's not that attractive when he's cocky. I see what the problem's going to be. And so the first lines can get you laughing as opposed to he says five things and you go, what is his approach here? What's his deal? If you're still asking questions, you're not laughing. If you're still getting exposition from dialogue, you're probably not laughing at the dialogue. So yeah, that's the the script editor that I am, the script consultant that I am. I don't really care what you call it. We've just called it script editor. Back in the day, script editor for... For Doctor Who was almost the showrunner job, was almost the, you pick who you want to come in and write episodes, you tell them what sort of stories you want them to write in consultation with the producer, and that will start to define who's writing the show and how the style is, and the script editor would do rewrites over the top in the same way that Russell T and Stephen Moffat do have done now it's a very catch-all kind of term Um, but now we have different now we do have a showrunners and we're kind of ah executive producer showrunners we know what that is so that's not a script editor for sure and in fact the script edit as i understand it the script editing on doctor who the people who have that credit much more the conduit job you know so are they do they're not they've got the same credit as as uh, robert holmes and whoever the best script editors doctor who ever had who were really defining the tone of the show that's definitely not what the script editors on the show are doing now it's a very it's a very catch-all term Hello and welcome to the Ask Your Industry podcast, episode 60. My name's Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, script editing. Andrew Ellard is the script editor of choice by people like Doug Naylor and Graham Linnan, and has worked on many, many TV shows, including The It Crab, Miranda, Red Dwarf. Now, love or hate these shows, they live or died on the scripts, and all of them did extremely well. 
I got him on to talk about how editing a script works and his story of going from someone who left university with a qualification that didn't really have practical applications to what he wanted to do and then stumbled across a skill that he had that he didn't even know could be a job and then made it his career is amazing. You can draw amazing parallels between that and comedians that are on the circuit going around trying to find their voice. I really enjoyed talking to him and I think anyone who is working on a script for anything, not just a sitcom, could learn loads from this interview and from him. You can contact him on his website if you have any work that you'd like to throw his way and he's so amazing. He's really giving with his time and really giving with his feedback which is how he managed to do so well in such a short space of time in this section of the industry before i hit play on the interview itself i just want to say we're approaching our second birthday and i've just got back from the edinburgh fringe festival which is why my voice is a little croaky kind of lost it for a while so that's why there's been a bit of a delay on podcast but i just want to thank everyone who has supported this project in the last year or in fact the last two years to be honest um i will be doing a proper thank you in the episode that's nearest our birthday but i just wanted to say that if you can support the podcast in the lead up to the second birthday please do i put a post in the rc industry podcast facebook group uh, which if you haven't joined you should join it's called rc industry podcast and it's on facebook of course trying to find more suggestions for perks for patrons and five people donated nearly 30 pounds via paypal all of them said they couldn't become patrons now but they're going to try in the future so don't feel like you have to but if you have been listening for a while it would be awesome if you could contribute by our second birthday i'd like to get the patronage up so i can invest money into the smart podcast player which is like a it's like a wordpress plugin that allows you to type in a tag or type in something you're looking for and it will make you a playlist of past pods that are related to what you're looking for. So if you're looking at learning about the Edinburgh Fringe, you can type in Edinburgh Fringe and it'll give you a playlist of those and you can download them and play them in whatever order you want. It's just a really useful little device. Problem is it's a subscription-based tool and I don't really have the money to do it right now. But if we can get the patronage up, I'm definitely going to invest in something like that to help out new listeners, but also old listeners who maybe want to find a little playlist of stuff for a new project they've got coming up. So if you can help with that, please do. Any amount is awesome. But if you can't help out financially, just share an episode, join the Facebook group, leave us an iTunes review. Everything helps. That's all I'm going to say on that. Oh, oh there's one thing as well. Uh, before the, this episode was recorded before Andrew's blaps went live. Now, that, if you don't know what they are, that will make sense in the in the podcast itself. But if you'd like to watch them and support him, please do find the link in the show notes or on my website and give them a watch they're really great i was able to watch them before they went out and i i thought they were really really well done and i think that uh, the bigger picture or the bigger project that he has in mind for them which we go into in the episode you can see developing really well but it's a case of just needs to get the views up and get the positive feedback up so that the channel knows that people are watching so if you can help him please do they're on the on-demand player so now without any more delays this is andrew ellard the the more i'm going down the rabbit hole of tv the more i'm finding out that the titles in it can be quite transient and overlapping absolutely and it seems like so my next question was going to be because i had rob popper on um oh, a few yeah. weeks ago he's very cool yeah that's great yeah he and he i went to his imdb before i got to him because research mm-hmm. and uh every like he had so many different like credits for different jobs and yeah. i said to him can we run through what all these are and all of them seemed pretty similar, mm-hmm. except some people wanted to credit him as a, a script editor or a script consultant or whatever. Yeah. And it's sort of like, 
do you, do you think because in comedy like as in, in stand up and stuff you sort of are your own editor and director and, and, and people sort of half know what that is mm-hmm. do you think titles are becoming less relevant or do you think you, people just know what you do and so necessarily we don't have to like look at credits as, as I don't I don't think people have the faintest clue what what gets done by who on a production but I think everyone in TV knows right. I think um, the reason I get work at all is because people recommend me and that's oh man are you having that kind of problem well you, you should get Andrew in because he'll really help get you through that you couldn't tell that from looking at the credits because apart from anything else who knows whether that script was in really good shape and I screwed it up whether that script was going to be good whether I gave notes or not or whether that script was a disaster and I gave notes and it got better or whether I gave notes they ignored them and it stayed bad there's no way from watching the final product to know what the script what that is and then you get into yes the terms being so blastedly nebulous I wrote a little piece I did a short film a few years ago called Future Inc and I wrote a little piece on a website for it about somebody had described something within the film as coming from the imagination of the director and I was like well I wrote it <laughs> and actually, and you and it was a really positive review and it's like well who, who am I to get snotty about a good review get snotty about the bad ones if you must but really but I just it niggles at me and that's the 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 what's the word the auteur system the auteur theory which has now come to mean the director is definitely the author of this thing which no that you you go into film you go into TV to collaborate that, that's, that, yeah that's the weird thing for me is I uh, so when people come up to the end of my uh, my debut hour that I'm touring at the moment mm. people say oh it's a really good show and stuff you know really well done or, or stuff like that uh, not always but you know most yeah. of the time uh, and you sort of feel like you should sort of go Can, do I have five minutes to tell you all the people that help with this <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah because like cause just because I'm the one on stage yeah. doesn't mean that you know I haven't had help with a punchline or I haven't I haven't been given a bit of feedback here or, or someone hasn't sat me sure. down and gone by the way this is funny but not for the reason you think it is <laughs> and, you know what I mean and like and so you've had to deliver it slightly differently and that kind of thing and, and it winds me up as well because you sort of think everyone should be getting credit not just yeah. the person who it's like uh, someone someone said to me the other day they watched John Oliver as well you know oh the, yeah yeah and they said oh he's really funny he puts that thing together really well and I'm like do you have any idea yeah, the, the number the of <laughs> and it's I mean it's difficult because of course if you if you hired people to come up with good things for you mm. and let them through the gate like you were mm. the gatekeeper of good content bad content yeah. or in your case what stuff goes into your show mm. that's down to you on some level yeah of course that's and that's executive producing that's show running that's you know whatever that's the uh, that's the ultimate ownership but you know the it's it's so difficult to, and you know writers get screwed with movies when they talk about movies writers get blamed for the mistake and it's like I had five scenes that covered all the questions that you think of things missing from the film and then they shot the scenes and dumped them they cut them out in the edit so what can I do in telly it's the other way around directors get absolutely screwed they don't get anywhere near the compliments they deserve for for making material work and for adding something to it for elevating it I can't remember what the question was what was the question I just asked how you were oh yeah <laughs> morning it's morning a morning, morning. No, I was just asking about titles in, in TV. Oh, yes, of course. And, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I get it, because in normal jobs, quote-unquote, everyone has a job title, yeah. and everyone kind of knows what admin assistant or receptionist or HR well, or whatever is. And but. if you work somewhere, somebody says, oh, ask Jeff, Jeff knows. Yeah. It doesn't matter what Jeff's job title is, yeah, it's just yeah. that Jeff knows. And within a workplace, and that's exactly how films and TV mm. shows function for the most part, is you tend to know who to go with with a particular problem, whether it's fixing a script, whether it's a costume choice, whether it's, you know, whatever. It's that nobody credits at the end. You don't buy a biro and find the 25 people who were responsible for its design, implementation, factorying, and all of that kind of 
stuff and 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 I do I I get sad I get sad about particularly movie credits because somebody might have written the best 10 jokes in the movie they might have written the three best scenes and have no credit on the film whatsoever but the caterers and the drivers are listed that seems balmy to me and it's all down to to uh, money it's all down to if you get a credit you get this much you get residuals and blah 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 and if you have to share it you have to share the residuals and there's an awful lot of particularly in american movies and so what you get is a load of writers fighting for other writers to not be credited so that they can have their lion's share and whatever which is fair if you wrote the lion's share of the movie and that's how the profit splitting is done but terrible in terms of representing how the film was actually made which is to say credits don't really represent how something is actually made. So many of those Doctor Whos, recent Doctor Whos, would have Russell or Stevens' names on just as a matter of course because they came in and either through through generosity or because of how the system works or how people were contracted, all sorts of reasons go into it. You can never be sure. And it's sometimes I remember with The Doctor's Wife, the, the Doctor Who episode that Neil Gaiman wrote, there's a line in there where she, <laughs> she bites him on the ear and she says, I like biting, it's like kissing, only there's a winner. Mm-hmm. Which is a good joke. It's a joke from Jekyll. It's a joke Stephen Moffat wrote, in, wrote for Jekyll, which was, I like murder, it's like sex, but there's a winner. Darker show, you understand. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. <laughs> but the point, the point is, well, for sure, then, you can track the ownership of that line back to the showrunner of the show rather than the writer credited on that episode. And if you can track that one publicly, how much stuff do you not know is going on? And the answer yeah. is loads, absolutely loads. It's... It, it makes me very sad. I'd love to see some version of a system where the main writer can have the lion's share of the credit and whatever. But if you've got four other people to write, it's why I like the additional material credits at the end of Miranda. At least there's an admission right there, front and centre. Her show, this team. Without these people, you don't get the script that you just saw. It is at least a good, honest admission of how the process has kind of worked. That there's an overriding writer and that there are contributing writers. But, that, but but that's more for you and for the other writer because I because I as no no well, no because mm. as a member of the if I was just a member of the public yeah I credits are not anymore uh, they used to be a part of the thing if you like you know I really liked you know where uh, I think I think of like are you being served or something oh. where it used to sort of appear yeah, yeah. next to people and, and then you'd have all the you know what I mean the, yeah the, but not the writers th- names no 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 but like at the end of the show you'd have you know you've been watching and then in order and then you'd have the actual names of people and they'd make it you know, over the top of things and it yeah. would feel more like something or, or Only Fools and Horses where it sort of felt mm-hmm. like you were still watching the show rather yeah. than it was an add-on. Yes. And now it feels much more, like you said, it's more for business for an add-on where if you get the credit, you just get an extra share. Is it, so it's like PRS kind of thing. So like if it gets... No, <laughs> yeah, not kind like of. No, that's kind of true. I mean, I think what you're talking about though is feel of a show. Mm. And I, I think there's a there has been a definite loss because we do worry that everybody panics now that people will will flip over the second the show is finished. Broadcast television is in a is in a big panic. So it considers credits this thing that they are stuck with that they'd much rather not do. And already we've had a few shows that have gone out where you can find the credits online. We won't even put them on the end of the show. You could just click this link and go through to them. And the rest of the time, they make them so that they can be squeezed and truncated and shoved to the side of the screen and something else can be promoted at you. So the credits are becoming... Yeah, no, I've seen that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, I think, is the real problem because, yes, you're, you're right. They don't feel like they're part of the show now. On the last laugh, on the fade-out, the show finished and then somebody put a load of names up for contractual obligation reasons. 
And it's because channels are encouraging showmakers not to make the credits interesting. We, they, we've had, I've worked on show after show where we've, we've tried to fight for end credit jokes where you can have a scene that the credits play over the top of, but you can still see a scene happening. And they're going, sorry, we need that real estate. We need that time to promote the next thing. Or like, or like a joke name in something. Or, or, or that kind of stuff. God, all those kind of like airplane Zucker Brothers gags that you, you would be... Uh. I remember The Simpsons whenever they did the Two House of Horror. They, oh, yeah. They, named, they made all the names. Yeah, and, and the I love opening. that. Yeah, I used yeah. to watch that all the way through. And that's the the opening titles. You can still get away with a bit of that. Mm. The closing titles are sort of dead air now. Um, but you, but you, in your experience, that's the channel more than the production. Yeah, there's n- nobody's making the show thinking. I'm really looking forward to my name being completely not ignored at the end of this. <laughs> um, opening credits are becoming more and more important, which is why writers' credits and producers' credits are getting whacked on the fronts of shows, right. and then the crew are getting dumped at the end. Right. Um, I do. I, I think it's a shame. I, I mean, I think it's a shame that we're losing a sense of, of theme tunes. And, you know, one of, the, one of the things I love about HBO and e- even Netflix is they've said, you know what, you can have a title sequence if you like, and it can be a minute long. We don't even care. T- Game of Thrones' title sequence goes on and on and on, and, it, and it's, it's like getting into the bath. It lowers you into the show. Um, on the flip side, though, Netflix, when you get to the end of an episode of something... Oh, God, yeah. It yeah, immediately yeah. offers you the next episode rather well, than to sit through the rest of the credits. So this is the thing. Binge-watching has become a thing. Mm. And I want... I mean, I'm trying to get someone on from Netflix at the moment to, to do this pod, but I really want it to be that if you are actively binge-watching a show, so if you know you're going to watch you know, like an hour or two worth yeah. of... Of twenty minute or half an hour programs, they just get rid of the intro and outro because I'd rather if I'm binge watching it, I don't want to watch well, the they, intro four uh, times in a row in that time. I'd rather get to the and next. And that episode. is what they do now. If you yeah. watch, it, if you watch it on on the, the digital TV we've got at home here, the the next episode you watch will quite happily cut off mm. the end. If you press the button, will cut off the end credits, cut off the previously ons, mm. and drop you straight into the actual yeah. start of the episode. And it's. I mean, that's how people want to watch TV. I can't blame them for that. That makes complete sense. But they're time poor. Yeah. Yeah. All close well, to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we watch it till four in the morning and then say we just don't have the time to yeah, see it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I get it. I get it. And no, so that's that's weird because I. Oh man, I'm a hypocrite because I'm totally for that. Hmm. No, I actually really want to just blow on to the next episode, but. On the other hand, to be fair, when it comes to, to shows, I'm, I'm one of those people who gets Wikipedia out at the end <laughs> yeah, and yeah, starts yeah. looking up all the people involved. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> so. I, might, I might cut this. If I might send you a link to this because I have a joke at the moment in my next show oh. about how I was watching Fight Club and I thought I'd go out and live because it made me want to live. <laughs> and I looked out the window and thought, it looks really cold. Like, <laughs> and then I watched to the end of the film and then I just Googled what Helen Bonham Carter's up to. Oh, really? And I spent two hours on Wikipedia. <laughs> and, it's, and every time you can see, even people that don't watch, have never seen that film just sit there going... Yeah, 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 that hurt. That's that's what that is. That is what that is happening, and I feel really good about it because I'm like I'm not alone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a pain in the ass, but what can you do? <laughs> we're all, we're all we're all creatures of habit, though, and I think I think that habit comes into it when when, when you're watching TV, and yeah. and I think I, I still can't work out whether it's on-demand players have started to make us act differently around content, or whether we have made that on-demand thing happen because they want to sell to more advertisers to make the show more viable. Mm. Well, it depends on who's on-demand, because, of course, there's no adverts on Netflix. 
there's no uh, they are entirely no, but, subscription driven yeah but that's again they're making money by making you watch other programs well so and the and absolutely the quicker they get you to the next episode mm. of something that's another hit that, yeah. it all it all drives up look how much interest there is look how much interest. if you get a uh, credit on a TV show you get more money than you would do if you didn't get the credit I mean I'm only, I'm only talking about top level there I'm talking about directors and writers once you get right. down to the costume designers and me the script editor there's oh. no residuals for Andrew oh you don't <laughs> get residuals no, not uh, at okay. all. Not at all. I was going to ask because it um, sounded really interesting. If so, as a writer, you would though. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, the, everyone tell, will tell you now, and I think it's broadly true that the margins for those things have dropped and dropped and dropped. That it used to be that you know you you could earn a living having made 20 good episodes of things and that they would the repeat fees would keep bumbling in but I think Graham tweeted the other day that he makes nothing on Father Ted being shown anymore that there's just you know basically no no gain for him at all um, so there are limits to it and that depends on both the 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 actual rules of the the industry it also depends on the specific deal that you've done blah 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 but no for for me residuals are only relevant for i want, i think i got 2 pound 46 from bahrain for my episode of doctors 3 years after it was shown here wow so you know well this is the thing so spotify is that for uh, musicians yeah and I'm ha- I've got a few musician friends who are always saying oh I don't make any money from it and I'm like yeah but it's for me that's a discovery platform if I, I discover right. music on that and then I will support that artist by seeing them live yes it's not the same for you obviously because if I like a, if I like Red Dwarf which I do I'm not going to come and see you live. No, you know. Plus, you don't, I don't I imagine you don't do that much. I'm so dreadful like, live. Yeah. No, no, I don't do it. I don't do it. This has been heavily edited. <laughs> <I> should, <laughs> to me, the drop in the residuals for you seem really odd to me because it's very, even on Spotify. So I don't know if you know how it works, but on Spotify, if you tw- ten million people listen to Lady Gaga, a percentage of their cut will go to Lady Gaga but it won't be done on the plays it will be done on how much they've listened to so uh, a more efficient way of doing that would be to do it on uh, an individual person listens to five tracks of Lady Gaga uh, and maybe 200 tracks of U2 and this person's got awful taste, but they, they you know what I mean? And then that way, each person gets a more accurate representation of the money that's being right. put in the pot rather than it being a, a, an overall thing. Yeah. And I sort of, I mean, do you know if Netflix works that way? or if, or if I don't know if Netflix uh, provide any ancillary at all. I'm not sure there's any follow-up. Um, I don't know. And God, get somebody from Netflix on to talk because they, they, want it they, are deeply <laughs> myster- they are deeply mysterious about it. In fact, one of the famous things about Netflix is that they don't put out their viewing figures. Nobody mm. knows who's watching what. We know how many subscribers, I think, because they yeah. boast about a bump in numbers yeah, and all yeah. that kind of thing, and fair enough. But that's all you know. Mm. And that's, on the one hand, that's good for shows in that they don't panic that nobody's watching them so much. They don't worry about individual, you know. But they are tracking drop-off. They're tracking, did people watch the first episode and then give up? Did people watch all the way to the end of the season? If they did, they probably want to come back for the next season. Mm. All that kind of data, which is stuff... Even the the broadcasters don't have because all right, you might have got two million for each episode. You might, but who knows if that was the same two million? Who knows if that wasn't half of them dropping off and a new lot coming in at the yeah, same yeah, time? Yeah. You can't be sure. So with Netflix, I mean, I, I assume they don't tell the production companies that they deal with how many people watch their show, which means that of course they of course can't give them residuals because of how many people watch their show or any version of that. But what they do do, as far as I can tell 
is pay for the shows properly in the first place. There's there's less, um, look, we're not going to pay for the show properly, but you can make it up because if a lot of people watch it, you'll see. So, you know, there's none of that, um, or at least less of that. I mean, there is still, they are now starting to do co-pros and things, though. So there is a, look, if you, we, you make it for us and we'll make it exclusive to these territories, but you can sell it to a broadcaster in Australia and that will, you know, and that's about funding, financing shows, which is not my area of expertise at all. I just read the same articles everybody else reads. So no, I don't think Netflix have that kind of thing going on. So, but you, uh, so earlier you said that you, the only reason you get work is because people recommend you. Mm. Do you know? I mean, the only person who's recommended you so far—that's not uh-huh. uh, a, 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 a negative point to yourself. It's just happens to be that most of the. I ask everyone at the end of the podcast who the most underrated person in the industry is, oh. so you can think about that throughout the rest of this because most people panic at that point. Oh God, um, yeah, that's going to be a thing. Huh? I know, right? But um, Graham Smith recommended you. And I just find it interesting. I mean, do you know what people say about you when they recommend you? You know what? I, I know what people say when they recommend me. I don't know what people say when they when they warn people off working with me. And that's the <laughs> That'd bit, be the one you want to know. That's the one I really want to know. I had a lovely... Somebody sent me a note twice now, actually. I've had people say to me, um, Jessica Hines has been really kind about you when she was t- when we were talking about uh, her writing of, of Up the Women. I did a day on Up the Women. I just came in and helped to kind of get some structural sense going on, mm. so that she she'd be kind of equipped for the next the next set of rewrites. And we just kind of ploughed through the three episodes that she had really hard and fast. But she scribbled like a demon. Took notes, took notes, took notes. I've I've never heard from her since. <laughs> but apparently, she's telling people how how good that experience was, and I'm desperately flattered by that. On the other hand, hi. You know? yeah. <laughs> no, I mean that's the thing is you don't know you you get a kind of sense of of what people are saying about you because I do tend to ask when I when I get a new job I say who recommended me and you know sometimes it'll be often it will be Graham Linehan uh, sometimes it'll be Doug Naylor sometimes it'll it'll be um, who else Julia Davis or somebody I just, so people will say oh you should maybe try Andrew just to get you over this hump just to help solve that problem. Um, which is all to the good. But what I don't know is when people are saying, you know what, we worked together for a while, but um, I, did, I, did yeah. the, I did the pilot. I did the pilot of um, Vic and Bob's sitcom, House okay. of Fools. And I'm desperately proud of how that came out because uh, they, had a, they had a script and it, was, it, it basically needed one fix. There were lots of little things to do, but they basically needed one fix, which was to get the plot rollicking along. They had a lot of scenes where characters would come in, introduce themselves, be really funny, and then leave, and then leave, and, and then that would keep happening. And eventually they'd remember, oh, we have to do a plot at some point, though. And and the plot that we'd sort of flimsily mentioned at the start would finally kick in, kind of 20 pages in. And it's like, all you have to do is have that plot going on, and then characters arrive. They can do kind of the same things, but at least now it's, I need to get this person out of my house. Or I can ask this person about the television that I haven't got that I need, to because we need a television, because the data we have involves us watching and on the TV and that one fix really made that that pilot motor and I sat with I sat with Bob for a for a meeting and then he said just just email me your kind of broad thoughts on how sitcoms should be really useful just to have to kind of list that we can apply and I said well I don't have a list but there are some basic fundamentals that everybody gets wrong so let's get those down emailed him that did the pilot and then they went to series and I think he just went well, I've got a list of how to make the sitcom work. I kind of don't need Andrew anymore. And fair enough, let's spend the money on the show. So I didn't work on the rest of the series. And then I saw some comment on some bloody forum somewhere saying, well, clearly Bob didn't like Andrew Ellard. 
only recommended me on my website. They've been very good about me since, and the company have hired me for another job subsequently. So I think I think I'm probably okay with them. But who knows? <laughs> yeah. Maybe he sat there going, "He made himself such a pain in the ass on the set. You have no idea." I don't know. I don't know. But you'd like to assume everybody was basically being pragmatic. Yeah. Um, that tends to be the reason almost everything happens is time and money and efficiency. Mm. Like we can send the scripts to Andrew, but since we already know what we want to do with them. He'll just be telling us something we already know. Well, then you don't need me. Come to me when you're stuck. You don't come to me when you're, when you're absolutely fine and you don't need any help. That's just an extra amount of time that you're wasting sending me a script, waiting for the notes to come back. Well, so you, you've named quite big people in the last couple of minutes. Name dropped. Name it's dro- terrible. I, no, I hate saying that. because The thing is, I think name dropping only works when you know the name. And as a result... I, I'm not going to assume everyone knows the names that you've just said. Yeah, yeah. Because that's not fair to everyone. No, no, quite right. But I know all of them. Right. <laughs> so well played. But my, my question was going to be, when you first started out as freelancing, mm. let's go from there rather than when you first started out. Or, yeah. we, or we can go back further No, 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 let's start to. the freelance bump. That's good. Well, I, you, uh, let me tell you the question, then we'll, mm-hmm. then we'll see where it would work better. I know I move my hands a lot. I don't know. I, it's not. This is the best bit about. I'm hypnotised by this hand. People Sorry. can't see it it's at home. <laughs> but it's well, you've got three ties and a watch on it, so everything's dangling. It's properly distracting. There could be somebody coming up behind me to kill me, and I wouldn't know. <laughs> it's all going to plan. Um, <laughs> you finish the series. No one's going to pick. No. Um, but the okay. So I'm going to put the hand down. I'm going to sit on my hand for the rest Good of the pod. Man. If you imagine that, everyone, for some reason. So essentially, you've named some quite big people there. Now, when you were first starting freelancing, how far into your career were you? How many years? Oh, I had. I mean, it's kind of a weird structural. Like, there's there's no structure to the career that I've got at all. I came out of university. I signed on and couldn't get a job because I got I got a master's degree in film, which is useful for <laughs> very little. Even the people in the film industry know that that doesn't really mean anything. I mean, well done in getting it and whatever, but it doesn't mean you've done it. it doesn't mean you suddenly know how to make movies and other people don't or anything like that it's 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 I took that course because frankly I thought I could pass it I wanted a degree I wanted a master's and I I only did the master's because I felt like I'd fudged my way through my regular degree passed it done all right with it but felt like now I knew how to do a degree so I wanted another go but but you don't leave that with a sudden knowledge of how to how to make departments function and how to deliver a script to time and how to deal with rewrite notes they don't teach enough of those kind of useful fundamentals it was and also to be fair a lot of what I was doing was theoretical was film analysis Anyway, so uh, in looking for a job, I was doing the Red Dwarf Fan Club magazine. I was editing it and writing content for it and doing interviews with people. And just at that time, the Red Dwarf production company, Grant Naylor, were looking for someone to do their website. Didn't know anything about the internet at that point. Certainly couldn't code or anything like that. He said, no, 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 we've got people to take care of that. What we need is someone to write content who knows the show that we don't have to teach the show to and will work for the lowest possible amount of money. (laughs) And of course, being yeah, being being a postgrad. I mean, I know they were they were probably considering. In fact, I know they were considering writers who'd done actual journalism on Red Dwarf, people who'd worked for the Red Dwarf magazine and stuff. But it's like you can't make those guys sit in an office all week just writing their, the website. They'll be desperately underpaid for what their their skill set is. I was a, I was a graduate with no no income. It was it was exactly the right job. It was great, mm. perfect. So I got to work for the production company and I was there for eight years. And in that time, I went from doing the website to looking after merchandise and stuff. So you start doing copy for the backs of things and you start approving 
t-shirt designs and trading cards and all that kind of stuff and in amongst all of that the Red Dwarf DVDs were going on which is sort of merchandise but sort of creative because there's documentaries on those DVDs Mm. so I ended up shooting directing almost all of the documentary content for all the and all the bonus material for all of the DVDs which was a really nice kind of use the skills that I'd got at college but not in a way that's going to annoy anyone too much you know not coming in you can't come in and swoop and say I'm going to make this DVD documentary there's no it's hard to be arrogant about about that nobody's broadcasting it on TV got to the end of doing all of those the Red Dwarf movie which had been promised and promised and promised unfortunately hadn't materialised there was money crashes there was all kinds of things going on that, that made that not happen but one of the things that had happened while I was there was I'd started Doug had sent me the movie script Ada after the movie script and said just let me know what you think because he thought you had a fan in the office and I was a fan in the office but I was a movie dork as well and I kind of gave some feedback about how I don't know by the middle it's kind of sagging but this bit's really good and if you move that over there and think now remember Rimmer's motivation for that was this which seems to have changed by this scene and I just got this thing back going these are great these are the best notes I've ever had and I didn't even know giving notes on a script was a thing like (laughs) film school had not even made me think that that was a thing where useful feedback on a script happened so I wrote him some more notes this time being a lot more candid because I was so nervous given the guy who co-created the show I had the terror in me and I suddenly realised actually telling truth to power giving your honest feedback to them is the thing they appreciate because oh, God, yeah. you can live in the you know the George Lucas castle where you can imagine nobody dares no one dares say um George all these characters are desperately wooden and this is the fifth scene discussing trade negotiations on the trot we might be bored instead there's a real kind of if you can if you can point out to people whether the things aren't quite working or how they could be made to work better anyway in a way that makes them feel like either it was their idea in the first place or even oh you probably had that idea and you dropped it so actually if you, you can pick it up and reinsert it there or even just in a way that makes them go oh man I want to go back to that draft now because if I can change that scene and that scene I can do this brilliant payoff encouraging better ideas that and ideas that you never gave them that they suddenly come up with for the third act that because you suggested a tweak to the second act suddenly become if you can be useful to people that way and candid but candid in a proactive way candid in a way that doesn't say you got this wrong but I see what you're going for here and maybe this is the way to work make it work nothing prescriptive nothing insert this and you'll be fine but could insert this could try this could try that offer some options offer some routes Graham called it the, the, the roadmap for the rewrite and I think that's really good you know what your destination is but which paths are you going to take there and doing that for Doug early on I think crystallised in my head some, some manner of, of how I could do what I do what I was doing for him usefully for other people and bless him he recommended me to Paul Jackson uh, who at that time was boss of comedy at ITV and ITV were trying to get their, their comedy palette back up because they'd kind of stopped commissioning any um, heartbreakingly and Paul was very much reaching to, to old friends and familiar contacts and people he knew could deliver certain things and Doug said well you want to get Andrew involved you actually you should be, be really useful so I, I weighed in on one show and then they put me on a retainer to weigh in on basically everything they had in production for a while which meant that my first year as, a, as an uncredited script editor working for ITV as a consultant I was giving notes to Oh, bless her, Carolina Hearn, um, to, to Guy Jenkin, to Jonathan Harvey, to uh, a slew of writers who were just genuinely terrific. And sometimes I was doing it in person, and sometimes I was just doing it by email. I never met Caroline, and you know. Um, but in all cases, it just, 
it, it bolstered that telling truth to power thing because these were iconic comedy people. I was nuts for for Drop the Dead Donkey. The idea that that Guy Jenkins wandering around, even listening to me. I used to turn up to those read-throughs and sit next to the, the continuity person, the person with the stopwatch or whatever, just nervous that I shouldn't even be in this room. And getting over that was a was a big kind of... Because I'm such a, I was such a shy, awkward kid, and I'm still a shy, awkward adult, really. Getting over that was a huge kind of a, a huge kind of hurdle. But what a great way to intern! What a great way to oh, yeah. figure out how to do this job. And so after a, about a year of doing that, maybe less, I went freelance because that that retainer at ITV, and this is why so much of your career planning isn't career planning; it's money, it's practicality. Mm. I had that little bit of money coming in from from ITV, and between that and I said I'd carry on doing the Red Dwarf website, but just as a sort of set of updates. So I'd just write two stories a week or whatever and provide them and deal with them and make sure they went up and sort them out. So I had a little freelance money there, a little freelance money there, and that meant that I could go properly freelance. It meant I could work from home and do what I wanted the rest of my time. And within a year, I was getting plenty of meetings. I had sitcoms in development. I was uh, working for really good people. I came back and did Red Dwarf Back to Earth, but I came back and did that as a freelancer as opposed to a staffer. Um, and that went, I think, almost immediately. I was then doing IT Crowd 4, and, and suddenly this kind of momentum thing had started where people started to recommend me around, and there was... There was work coming in. I got approached rather than, you know, having to kind of beg to get through a door. And it's been that way ever since, more or less. I, I can kind of, if I if I have the nerve to sit back and not do anything, something will turn up. That's, there are several things that have come out mm. of that. Firstly, I completely agree with, so from doing this podcast, I've learned that the, the big people that I get to talk to really don't want yes men. Around them, or oh, yes, yeah, women. Yeah. Sorry, um, yes, people. Yes, persons. Yes, persons. They do, they don't want. They want. They want. They don't want assholes. They mm-hmm. want constructive feedback on yeah. things because without it, you can just like like I said before. You know, I might think a joke's really funny, but it might be, but not in the way I think it is. Yeah, and you need to be told that, and and you can be as self aware as you think you are, but you can't fully judge it from the outside unless you're someone on the outside. Yes, and so I completely agree with that. I love the fact that you started something for fun, essentially, and, and or part of something for fun, and it grew to something else. Because most of the time, people that listen to this come over to, or send me emails or, or send me tweets or whatever it is and say, you know, oh, what's your end game with it? Or, or like, oh, I've got this really good idea, but how do you even finance what you're doing? Or, you know, all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, once you've got the equipment, it's pretty low cost after that. Yeah. Especially if you're doing sort of a, a DIY job like, like, like what I'm doing. And I think, and, and, and opportunities come your way because you proved you can do it. And I think yeah. um, I, I, there's, a, there's a sort of unifying group of people who are just making something because they want to rather than waiting for permission to do it. Well, I did, funnily enough, I had a, one of the first sitcoms I sold. I, while I was working at Grant Naylor, I did, I did one episode of Doctors. Um, and I found that kind of a bumpy ride, uh, so uh, <laughs> mutually agreed, never went back. Um, but I started, I, I realised I didn't want to do soap drama kind of stuff, which is what I was absolutely certain I wanted to do when I left university, because it seemed like that's where regular work would come from, because they make a lot of episodes of those things. And I had a, at the time, I had kind of a knack for dialogue. I'd had some nice feedback from BBC people about stuff that I'd written. And it seemed like a, a good niche for me. But actually, it turns out that I loved comedy as a viewer and really what I wanted to be doing was writing that. So I wrote a, a, a sitcom pilot 
uh, about a house share thing that was going on that was actually going on with me at the time. I was sharing with somebody who people would always assume me and her were a couple, and we weren't. And the problem is, as we became better and better friends, it only seemed more that way because you start to talk the same and all those Anyway, so I wanted to do a little sitcom about that, and I sold it. I sold it to a production company. They had it for however long. We did some development. We did some extra documents for it. Some pitches. I guess they pitched it around. I never. It never really went all the way. And then another production company showed interest in it, and I wrote two more episodes for it, unpaid. Which in re- I now I will try and put my foot down about that stuff. But when you're starting, you have to do something. Um, but eventually, that didn't happen either. And in fact, I kind of retreated from that one. And eventually, I was like, this thing never going to get made. I love it, but. I think I'm a better writer than when I came up for it, but I don't think I know how to write it better than this. Mm. So to partly to promote myself and partly to draw a line under it, which is a weird simultaneous thing to do, um, I got some people in to record it audio. I begged some favours from a, uh, an uh, audio company at the Shepton Studios who we'd worked with for Red Dwarf stuff mm. and sort of begged them, can I get a day, can I get, I'll pay, you know, can, can I have a really cheap rate and can I... And and that was it's on my website now. It's called I'm Not with Him, and it's actually very badly structured. And it shows exactly what you shouldn't do with a sitcom, which is two characters who are similar. That's the worst way to build a sitcom. Is look how badly we're the same. But at the time, it seemed like a really good idea. But they won't clash. They won't, you have to throw in an extra element to make them argue every week, as opposed to there's something inherent in the sitcom that makes them battle anyway. But it was a good experiment, and it meant that I got to direct Chris Barry and Hattie Hayridge for a day doing doing this thing. But but it was so nice to actually be producing something, yeah. to be actually putting it out there. And you learn so much. You learn what you don't know how to do. You learn about ways to do things better. And, and for sure, as a writer, you finally, once it's recorded and down, and you if you couldn't get any distance from it before, you sure as hell do once people start listening to it and going, well, this is... It's okay. And you start to hold yourself to account for all the things you should have held yourself to account for after the first draft. Mm. So for all sorts of reasons. But also put it, it did get me sort of a lot of meetings and stuff because at least I had a thing to show. I already finished this. The show's basically ready to go. I did some photo art to go with it. And it just looked like you were maybe actually productive as opposed to someone they would have to coax productiveness out of. Yeah, totally, totally. Sorry, I was, uh, the reason I looked quite... Mm. Not bemused, but interested as to what you were saying, because I'm writing a sitcom at the moment, much like every comedian who has a podcast. And I, I did I, one of the things in it. Oh, I mean, it's not a pitch, but one, one of the things. <laughs> Go on, we're in now. Well, no, no, it's it's the, the, the it's in a social media agency, mm-hmm. and the idea is that uh, everyone in it, except for the guy who runs it and the intern, don't want to be there. Yeah. They all they all have other, like a comedian or a musician or mm-hmm. whatever, and every week there's a different pitch. And they all basically go away, and instead of working as a team, they work on something that would play to their strengths outside yeah. rather than inside. Right. And I've written in a new character to it, which I really like, who is based on a character who's in the actual writing office I'm in at the moment. Right. She does not know how beautifully mental she is. <laughs> She's amazing, and I, I, I can't even describe it. She, she keeps accidentally implying we're like she's dating people in the office even though she's married so like she'll randomly so like the other week she asked me to do my time shoots and I was like why and she goes it's important to me why won't you and I was oh. like are you serious like it's just love I know right. it's amazing so so I've started writing these conversations online and I've started writing fake conversations and posting them online yeah sorry some of them are fake I've had to, <laughs> I've had to write for her because otherwise how am I going to write her as a, a character I'm hoping there's not that much crossover between the people that listen to this and that but whatever but it's it's no one seems to have 
have noticed the difference between the two. Right. And and I'm and and I, I was thinking about what you were saying when it's conflict because we're very similar in the sense that we both have an agenda and a conversation when we're talking. Yeah. But we're both very different people. That's uh, fine. That's okay, fine. fine. No, 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 no. I mean, if you have you, I want to. I mean, actually, we, Andrew, we've wandered so far from whatever this question originally the origin, was. Okay, the original, no, 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 okay, no. Okay, I'm, right. I'm here now. I'm here now. I'm <laughs> sticking my flag. You brought in your it. flag down. Go on. So I do have a thing about how people say that comedy comes from conflict, and I always think it's an overstatement. And you'll have heard me say this in on other things before, quite possibly. Comedy doesn't come from conflict. Comedy comes from difference. Conflict comes from difference. The friends in Friends are friends. They're not in constant conflict over everything. Sometimes Ross and, and, and Rachel get on and sometimes they don't. Sometimes Ross and Monica are affable brother and sister friends and sometimes they're a nightmare to each mm. other. These things go in, in cycles and loops depending on story demands and whatever. But as long as they look at situations differently, and that's where your example is really useful. I'm talking about two characters who are really proactive and are going after things. That's the kind of common ground that is going to be comedically useful because they're both going to want something. As long as they want a different thing out of the end of the conversation, oh, yeah, yeah. Every time. then you're fine. That's okay. that's going to be fine. It's it's if they want all want the same outcome that you're in a, in a bind. This is why the friends in Friends can't spend the whole episode sat there talking about how important friendship is because they all agree on that yeah. and there's no laughs in that scene. Well, the, the thing I like about what I'm writing is... Uh, my- Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mum's very passive-aggressive, mm. and as a result, I've had... 29 years of learning how to write passive aggressive conversation right and i know in offices people have to sort of be passive aggressive because they don't want to have an awkward encounter yeah. but they also want to push their point forward yeah. so every character in it is amazingly passive aggressive except for one right. who doesn't give a shit because they're freelancing okay and and as a result i'm having a lot of fun sort of having them go oh maybe we could do a song and like yeah we could do a song but how about a jingle instead of mm-hmm. like and instead of a jingle a poem I like it. <laughs> well, then the trick the trick is going to be making sure they've got different types of passive aggression. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that they that they yeah they yes, they aren't all yes buts you know because there are there's passive aggressive which is I'm actually the most positive person in the room. You just you just you're hearing my negativity, yeah, yeah. but I'm not giving it. I'm you know, and there are people who are who are blunt, but it's still a strategic bluntness. You yeah, know, yeah. there's a yeah. 
I'm, I'm basically whenever I have a conversation with someone who is being passive aggressive, I hate that in, yeah. in people. But I'll sit down afterwards and write down the way they did it <laughs> because I, you know, like so for example, I'm trying to write one of the characters that always will send you their notes in email. Like they will never confront persons in real life, right. but they will go. Maybe we should do it this way. Send, and they're like, I'm done. I'm done. Right. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And then there's another one who genuinely will just walk over and just sort of go. If you got five minutes to have a chat, have a powwow. You know that kind when, of bullshit. And when, it's, it's so much fun to sort of look at the, the phraseologies you can chuck in there every so often. Yeah. You know, like offices have their own sort of catchphrases. Oh yeah. That I think that I think I'm gonna I'm playing to a lot, which is fun because I think first of all it's relatable, but second of all it's 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 sort of I like the idea of the takeaway quotes, like in the in betweeners, where you're yeah, like yeah. wankers and yes. all that kind of stuff. So. I think that individual language stuff's really important. I've mm. always struggled with it a bit because it's 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 something you you have to invent from the floor up. Oh yeah. I just did I just did a, a set of blaps for Channel Four, which I've suddenly re- hang on. He's getting yeah. to see some no 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 content. cut this out cut this out I don't want this uh, in the thing it makes me look such an amateur uh, um, yeah, but it's me that looks like the amateur I'm the editor the <laughs> oh yeah no if, if, if this is still in here it's an editing error I want that down on the record um, what makes you think that's not getting cut oh <laughs> painted myself into a comedy the power gonna leave it all in i just don't you <laughs> bastard <laughs> i just did um some blaps for channel four and one of the conversations we had on the set on the day was whether the phrase big phone was going to be a problem because we had mm. a we had a, a character come through the front door and he's he's looking for the house phone right the corded main phone for the house so he 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 asked for the big phone and i thought well that's just a bit of house language that's involved one day because your cell phone's tiny and the house phone is relative even if it's a cordless is of a relative size mm. or it's just something like it's the main phone it's the big phone so i figured there's a history to that language and and somebody did say to me, but will people know what we're talking about? Like, is and it's like, not yet, but they'll know when he gets handed it what it means. And as long as that's like, you don't have to be. If if I'm not doing a joke with big phone, which I wasn't, it was just a bit of language that felt true. Mm. If it re- if it was a punchline, if it relied on you getting on knowing what that was for a gag, fair enough. But this wasn't that. This was about starting some exposition. Mm. He asked for the big phone. He goes rummaging around looking for the big phone. Where's your Where's your normal phone? Oh. So it won't be his cell phone. It must be the audience's minds work at such a fast pace. They're so used to receiving information. They'll tally that all together. There's no confusion there. But you do panic about it. Are people going to understand? Or at least other people panic about it. With that one, I was kind of feeling confident. But you never know. And as soon as someone asks, you go, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this. Anyway. Um, so that kind of language, that evolved language, that, that gives you a place that you go, nobody else quite talks like that. This is a language that belongs to that house. Really lovely. I love when that yeah. stuff can work. My, so part of my day job, I told you before we started, it's in social media. Mm. Uh, when I'm doing the consultancy stuff, generally what they'll do is they'll bring me in around the stage where they've got it all signed off by the client and they're pretty much ready to go and start creating it. However, they have had a panic moment where they're like, does this make sense? So they'll bring me in and they'll go, or they'll bring someone like me in and go, right, we've got this idea for an app that does this. Does it make sense? And I'll go, it does, but you've had too many meetings and it only makes sense internally because you've right. spent an hour talking to me about it and I, I, no one's going to sit down for an hour and watch this to you know get the idea of it. Mm-hmm. Let's dumb it down mm-hmm. because it's too many. And like, or they'll all have like five you know barriers to entry or click-throughs or whatever. Right. And, and I'll be like, right, you need to get rid of four of those if not five, yeah, because no one's going to want to click through. You know, even even in Jurassic Park, he didn't want to go through all the doors to get to the. Thing, you know <laughs> what I mean? He just wanted to get to the fucking office. There is a thing about. Uh... 
lubricating the way in yes. for people to let them glide towards your content as as uh, like content as adults like, we um, should all be aware of this <laughs> quite right too smooth on entry oh god what have i done um <laughs> There is absolutely that, and then that's that's why. <laughs> Sorry, in my head I went. That's what she said, and, uh, I, and, no, and then I went. It, I'm better it. than that. I'm yeah. better than that. Come on. You know what though? What you've done is the ironic. Yeah, I know. Where, where you get to do the joke yeah. and then pretend that you, yeah. you know, hi Ricky. That's how. <laughs> I'm, that's how I'm better than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's it's different. It's different from actually doing racist jokes or sexist jokes. If you oh, just I never say do I do. <laughs> never. I wouldn't touch that with a barge pole. The, <laughs> the the the. The thing you want to do is you want people to grasp it as quickly as possible. And that's true for everything. And that's why I have the the thing online that every, I keep linking to it like it's like it's some kind of guru thing. But seven lines from Friends, where you just look at the first seven lines of the pilot of Friends. Yes, I saw your interview on this with the BBC. Yeah. Right. And it's I just think it's one of the most useful to- things to realise is, oh man, I grasped those characters really quickly. Why did I grasp those characters really quickly? If your comedy starts out and 15 minutes, we get to the commercial break and you still don't know who anybody is quite like, I get, is he angry or is he just angry now? Is he a sad person or is he just sad about this breakup? Tune me into the person. Help me tune. Find the five lines of dialogue that make you go, oh, he's like this. They Mm. can get thicker and denser. You'll build more on top of it. But it's so important to know how the world works, how the characters work, and who they are. And that's really what rewriting and rewriting your pilot is all about, is if you can do it right, everybody's tuned in by the end of the first scene, which means the second scene, you can actually be the show instead of, hi, everyone, I need to let you know what the show is today. You know, the less intro you have to do, the less heavy lifting you have to do at the front, the more you can reduce that stuff and force it back to be the first three minutes and then move on. Well, uh, one of the... Short. I swear this isn't about me, but one of the it kind of is one of the uh, favorite things I've written about this so far is literally a cold opening. It just drops you straight in to a conversation with two people, and I tell you nothing about them. You just have to get it from the conversation, and then I'm going to do the intro, and then I'm going to introduce them. And I loved, I loved writing that because it meant that because I hate starting writing something anyway because it was always the start of a show, like my my debut show. Mm -hmm. I had to get that in previews by just going over and over it and getting bored of the opening joke that I had right. because I couldn't find it because how do you start I, yeah. you know, I've got no reason to talk to you you know you've got no reason to be I'm an unknown comedian you know what I mean mm-hmm. so so I hated that so I thought just write it and see how it comes out and I wrote it and I rewrote it and then I rewrote it and, it, and after about five times it came out and I was like oh I like that I'm going to keep that as it right. is and just go from there because I think if they're bored after 30 seconds of hearing these two characters talk they're not going to watch the rest of it anyway yeah. so I don't care about those people Graham Linehan said on Twitter the the other week, um, and this came out of the writing of the latest series of Cal Arthur, actually. You you write it, you plow all the way through to the end, and once you get to the end, you know what your beginning should have been. Yes. You go, oh, that's the result I wanted. Yes. Well, now the beginning can be on that subject, because I didn't even know this episode was about that when I started writing the episode. That's the thing that annoys So uh, a lot of my friends are doing Edinburgh this year, and mm. they've signed up in like December, January time. Yeah. And obviously that means you have to have all your stuff ready but you don't have any jokes. Yeah. And I'm really loving that I'm doing next year, not this year, because it means that I'm now, and I, I, I've started writing it from the middle and I'm working it forward and I've sort of now got an idea of what I'm going to do at the start and the callback to the end. Yeah, yeah. And it feels so much more fluid than the first show I wrote, which was literally unconnected jokes that I had to make a narrative work around yeah. and then write a big punchline at the end and set it up at the start. And, it, and, it, and because that joke doesn't really 
come into it for the rest of the you know what I mean yeah, it yeah. sort of felt it didn't feel artificial to me and I know that audiences don't necessarily care but to me I was like this doesn't I feel like I can do this better right and so it feels more like I'm being professional about it by starting in the middle every time and working forward and I think I think that's what lacks in some online sitcoms that I've seen mm-hmm. in that it looks like they've had an idea yeah. that could be a vine yes. and then they've dragged it out to 20 minutes I absolutely think I mean also why are you making 20 minute videos for the internet I mean that just seems I, like a crazy uh, <laughs> okay, okay then stop it, what is it? but then well, it I depends I, on the content I, it does depend it on does the content dep- of course it yeah. depends on the content but more often than not and it is a discipline thing it is a, an experience and practice thing more often than not you see People writing a five-minute scene that should be one and a half minutes, but they fell in love with the riffs all mm. the characters were doing. And then I, I, I get so many people saying something like, well, what about the royal family? They're just sat there talking. And it's like, yeah, but watch the ebb and flow of the power relationships yeah. in those conversations. Watch as people find agendas and push them and then get pushed back. And th- there, is a, there is a story where everyone can try and write, oh, they just sit down and chat and that's fine. I don't know how you make that entertaining but definitely this power pushing thing is part of it and more people are going to get that wrong than they're going to get that right if you find an outlier if you find a comedy outlier 50 sitcoms that say you really really need to have a story rolling all the time all the time you need to keep moving moving and one sitcom that says sit still we'll just talk for a while mm. the lesson to take from that is not well then i don't have to bother learning this story stuff i can just do the sit down and talk a while thing no you have to be geniuses like those guys are to do that it's not that you can't do it yeah. it's this you'd better be that good yeah um otherwise stories are really good fallback because you know what stories can really help you get past the problem of jimmy mcgovern always always said about cracker he found Cracker relatively easy to write because he'd built a character and built a world and all you had to do was have a crime happen. And he knows what the next 15 scenes are because, of course, they've got to investigate it. Of course, Fitz has to deduce something. And, of course, come the end, you have to have a thing where we catch the guy in an interesting circumstance. The genre really helps you with that. Um, if you're if you're looking for ways to make your writing of sitcom easier, plot is one of the easiest things you can do. And the second thing to to do then is just to make sure it's not completely linear, is to make sure it's not just guy wants to date girl, keeps trying, keeps trying, keeps trying, keeps trying, keeps trying, keeps trying, and at the end he either does or he doesn't. That's not a plot. That's the same scene five times over. Uh, the two I don't, I don't know which order to do these in because normally it comes out in just a conversation and we're, and we're oh, I'm so I've, sorry I've, broke, I've broken the flow a little bit oh. but the two, the two questions are going to be when you see a script for the first time or out of all the scripts you've seen for the first time what are the most common mistakes that keep cropping up oh, and the other question was going to be what is an obviously you're not going to have an average day but what is an average day like are you working okay. from home are you working from not? which one do you want to ask you to go from uh, let's do the first one okay um so okay, let me let me ask that again mm-hmm. for for the edit. Um, so you've seen a lot of scripts. I mean, what are the most common mistakes or, or trends in mistakes that you see from either new writers or established writers? Are there, are there different trends? Uh, with 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 new writers, it's always the same things. They absolutely have underthought the premise of the show. They've fallen in love with one quickie idea and not realised that it wouldn't sustain six episodes, much less five seasons of six episodes. Um, they've almost always fallen in love with their characters talking to the point where they've forgotten that their characters have to do things at some point. So they keep riffing and riffing 
riffing and riffing and riffing and riffing and eventually you're like I'm 16 pages in and literally nothing has happened and worse yet they're agreeing with each other for all 16 pages and just making fun of each other a bit this this mistake this mistaken assumption that you and your pals hanging out that that's the funniest thing you can imagine it's probably not yeah so that that's really awful and uh, just a narrative block in general people get very hung up on i'm going to introduce one character then the next then the next then the next and once i've met everybody i can start telling my show well you're on page 20 we're near the end of the damn show get on with it there's no reason not to have the plot going while you're meeting the characters everybody there's a there's a, a an irksome true but problematic note that you see a lot which is try writing the second episode of the show rather than the first Easily said, but you haven't written the first one yet, so you haven't got them on their feet and talking enough to write the second episode. So you start writing episode two, and the same thing happens. Everyone comes in and introduces themselves. What should really happen is go and write the first episode just for yourself and don't show it to anybody, then immediately start writing episode two, and that's the one you present to people. But people don't want to do that. They want to get to the end, type the end, and then put it in the email to somebody. The number of first drafts, the number of things where you've got, look, I know you know that this doesn't work. I know you can look at this objectively, and if it was a TV show you watched, you'd be going, I'm so bored, I don't get what this guy's deal is, I don't know why I care. All the stuff that you would hold against any other show, you're in, you somehow can't get wood for the trees about it. And I always say, when people ask me for, for notes, when new writers ask me for notes, one of my standard replies is, look... You can hire me for notes. I'm available and you can pay for it and whatever. But just think about whether what you really want to do is just put it in a drawer for six months. Go and write something else. Because unless you're on a deadline, unless you need to have this script ready for something, and God knows people are winding up, I've got to get it in for a competition and it's in four weeks. Well, you're contacting me now. But all right. But for the most part, you'd be so much better off shoving it in a drawer forgetting about it for six months pulling it out and going what the hell was i thinking because you will you'll read it again you'll have enough distance and that's a lot of what a script editor's job is really is to give you those six months for free or at least for a fee is to give you those six months quickly and concisely right we skip ahead pretend pretend you've got some perspective i'm your perspective here's what's wrong with it oh man i should have known mm. Um, with prose, mostly, actually, what you get is that they've they've fallen in love with all the good pieces and glued them together, but they haven't they haven't yet in their first passes. It's still quite ramshackle that the joins between scenes and like this character was excited in this scene and now they're bored and you haven't given me well yeah but that scene came from a different version and and that's all that's all good. Although what they're really showing you is this is what I want the show to be. How does this stuff all join up in the best possible way and have a lovely through line and all that stuff? And you help them excavate all of that. So that's, yeah, those are the normal things. Those are the everyday. I, I do feel like I have a stock, I should have a stock email. that I inst- When people ask for notes, the first thing I should do is just, here's, look, here's the checklist. I don't believe in checklists. I don't think every single script has to do every single thing. But I, I'm willing to bet that you haven't checked whether your character actually has a strong want. They want this thing. Well, no, they're just a regular guy hanging out. You may wrote your main guy as a regular guy. I always remember that... Um, when they were making the Hobbit, Peter Jackson, they were Martin Freeman. I think asked, "How do you want me to play the Hobbit? How do you want him to feel? Oh, you know, like a like he's English, you know, proper, a full English character." And he went, well, "I don't know how to play that. I'm a full English actor. What's the difference between me and all the other? Like, that's not a character note. Yeah. Britishness in itself is not a character, particularly right now. Look at the shade, shades of Britishness right now." 
you have to give people things to hang on to. What is they? You know, do they want fame? Do they want money? Do they? You know, David Brent wants fame. David yeah. Brent wants attention and fame. Basil Fawlty kind of wants a quiet life and to be in charge and to be more upper class than he is. Yeah. Those clear wants, those clear desires, and then you give them a personality that can't possibly allow that to happen. That's the central shape of basically every good sitcom lead ever. Is mm-hmm. that is that Chandler wants love? He's got the kind of personality that drives women away. Perfect. Yeah, Rimmer wants to be a uh, uh, officer, but yeah. he's never going to make that. Never going to. Lister wants to get back. Well, Lister wants to get back to Earth, but it's just not possible. He's not. He's um, got the drive, but he hasn't got the the. Not, like he's not a space hero enough yeah, yeah. to find a way to make it solve his own problem. Yeah. But also, he's built of irony. He's built of this is the last example of humanity. This guy. Mm. That's part of the joke. Built in ironies. Basil Fawlty running a hotel is a built in irony. He doesn't like people. He has to deal with them all day, every day. Mm. Uh, speaking of all day, every day, like what does every day look like for you? That like what is beautiful? I know, right? I was like, ah, oh. it's like proper radio. This is amazing. Thank you. Uh, what? Yeah, what does like an average day? Look? I mean, obviously, no one has an average day in this yeah. industry. But well, this, what would you? But I, I'm, I'm an average script notes day goes one of two ways. Either I, I get up, I get in the bath with a script and a red pen. So people, but people there's bath water. It's not, there is bath water. Yeah, it's, bath. Not, it's not just <laughs> habitual. <laughs> I have I found. Weird by the way, I have found this 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 device that goes over the overflow pipe that lets you fill the bathtub all the way to the top, so right. it stays warm for longer. Oh, nice. and, oh god, that's been a lifesaver. But right. I go I go and do my notes in the bath. Somebody's twice this year. So people have emailed me saying, "Could I come and do work experience with you? Could I just like like observe you for a day and you doing your job?" And it's like you really don't want to see it. It's <laughs> it's, it's not very pretty. So now I get in the bath with my script and my red pen and it's printed out and I go through it actually quite slowly and methodically. So a half hour script will take an hour to go through um, piece by piece. And you scribble all your thoughts as you go down on the, in the margins or whatever. And, and then I put it aside and I make sure I have a break in the middle. In the middle. So, so there is a chunk of time then where I will do admin, I will do job emails, agents and all that kind of stuff, or I will fuck about on a video game or something and just kind of clear my head of it and let what I actually thought about that script beyond the things I scribbled in the margins actually trickle through because a lot of time that's when the solutions turn up. Um, okay, so we know we know that that scene didn't work. Why didn't it work and how do you fix it? I don't know, I don't know. And then halfway through, I'll go, oh, oh, it just needs to be set at night because that changes that setting completely and da 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 and then in the afternoon, I'm on a treadmill desk. I've got a desk with a tre- with a treadmill under it because I had a bad back a few years ago. So to solve that, I need to do a lot of walking. And I'm never going to go outdoors because I hate the outdoors. That's where all the things that bite you live. So it's nice to be on the same page on that one. Oh, yeah. I can't abide it. I've got a step. I've got a step. Oh, yeah. perfect. They're amazing. Yeah. So, so so I walk and I walk for however long it is three four hours. It usually takes me four hours to do a set of notes on a half hour script because I'm a slow typist and an ugly typist as well. I never learned to type properly. Um, so that and that that's a, that then that gets finished. That gets emailed off. Um, some writers prefer their notes by phone. That's fine. Then I sit there with the script and I go through it page by page with them over the phone and they can ignore whatever. And actually sometimes that helps you get to better ideas faster because they'll have a quick notion on the phone and pitch it to you while you're talking. And um, But some writers really just want you to be an app. They really want you to be, let's just get get your feedback so that I can let it mull for two days. But also so I can reread it and reread it and look at it again and go, oh, actually, yeah, he said that didn't. So that's a normal day. 
relatively, or there's the days that I go into town and do kind of the same thing, which is that I've been given a script, I've read it the night before. Sorry, in my head, I like they have like a bar. Oh, they've got, yeah. <laughs> oh, if only. Could you imagine? Mm. Well, if I, if I were ever king of television, the huge ornate bathtub that people come, come, come hither. I've, I've strategically placed the flannel. You're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sit in a, a workroom for a day. And that's how we did chewing gum series one. And that's how um, a lot of the, the kind of first off pilots and things where you go in and do a day in the office with the people. And sometimes the producers want to observe that and make sure things aren't going in a terrible direction. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the normal days. The days that aren't normal are my writing days because I've kind of painted myself into this corner now where I can earn a living all year script editing and there's stuff I really, really want to write. There's, I, I'm desperately keen to do three or four things and I never get the time because instead I'm paying the bills and I'm starting to drive myself crazy about that. Who script edits you then? That's a very good question. It, um... <laughs> no, it's a very good question because I... I um... Because obviously, I mean, you, you're going to be good at what you do, but like we said, you can't be 100%. Mm. It's like it's like asking a hairdresser to cut their own hair. Absolutely. You know it is. I mean? yeah. Oh, I would never have recorded that. Have, uh, I'm not with him. That thing I recorded, I'd never have recorded it if I'd noticed that both characters being the same character is a problem. Like, why wouldn't I have... Sp- and I, that was on my desk for a long time, and it's because people offered to buy it. It's because mm. people were interested in developing it. So you go, well, it must work then. No, it's just a good starting point. It must work is a very big question. Mm. So I haven't I haven't yet worked with a script editor um, that I I love, but I've worked with a lot of development producers who I have really enjoyed. Like um, I did some stuff for CPL a little while ago, and the development person there's um, amazing. Um, so I don't know. I my problem is I would I I now don't write unless somebody's paying me to write, which means I have to pitch something really good first, yeah. and you still have to work up pitches for free for nothing, and I. I'm earning a living one way, and that's and it's a real problem. And it, I feel like I'm coming towards some sort of life crisis nexus, and it may be related to the fact that I turned forty a couple of weeks ago. But I'm suddenly aware that all this stuff that I really wanted to write, I'm not writing because instead I'm earning a, a pretty decent living uh, doing the thing that I'm doing. And at some point, I think I'm going to have to say, right, we're going to be on our uppers for six months. We're not going to earn a lot of money. The takeaways are cancelled. We're going to have to not do a lot of stuff. But at the end of it, I'll have two scripts for two shows that I can take away and start shop- start shopping around. It's so weird. It's it's when I was in a full time job, I still found it relatively easy to go home in the evenings and weekends and write half hour scripts to have have uh, you know features even. As soon as I was dealing with scripts all day as part of my working day, I can't do that in the evening anymore. I can't bring myself enough now with the scripts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so now I need to I need to start being a lot stricter with myself, or at least a bit more daring with myself. I've fallen into a very comfy niche. Yeah, I I have a similar issue in that my like I said my, my day job basically I write jokes for Twitter for different brands. Yes, and as a result, my tweet output has dropped because first of all I've written enough for other people that I don't want to write anymore, of course. and second of all like. Also, most of my best stuff someone's bought. Yes, and, and then and then you've got the downside of like I just I just want to go over and read someone else's. See, short term it's really good for you, but long term you can feel yourself eroding your own. But, it, but for me, it's helped in the sense that uh, I I now really like I said I write the stuff for the different mediums. So I write for Twitter in a certain way. I write for, I, I make stuff for YouTube in a certain way, yeah, and my yeah. live stuff doesn't really translate to either of those things. Good. So I quite like that. 
So it means that that's why I'm struggling a bit with a DVD record at the moment because I want a copy of it that I can sell and that I can put online and do like a calling card. Yeah. But the only way I've come around to do that is I'm doing a one take shot in August. So it's going to be uh, literally one camera recording me for the whole way through, right. no cuts, no edits. <laughs> so if something dies, it dies. Right. And it will just be like, and it's going to be on a chair at the back so it's like you're in the audience. Right. And that's the best I've come up with that means that it hopefully will be as close to you being in it as I tell you what finding divisions between those things is an interesting because I'm, I'm I'm kicking around more drama ideas than I mm. used to because um, everybody thinks of me as sitcom um, and I love sitcom it's still my favourite form of television but actually I'm wondering maybe if I was if I was writing drama and script editing sitcom maybe that would be a division enough because I wouldn't be ploughing looking for joke situations funny outcomes to things yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's a thinker that's a way to look at it I find routine helps me a bit. So if yeah. I if I set my because everything comes down to routine when you look at what you're doing as a as a habit and a hobby mm-hmm. and stuff. So I find uh, if I want to start a new project, so like I started a, a video blog recently uh, called There's No Plan B, and it's all about uh, trying to literally take comedy being more seriously and trying to go full time as myself in right. this kind of thing. And and by saying to myself, well, every two weeks I'm going to put it out. I now carry my camera with me everywhere, huh. not as if like oh everything's interesting, yeah. but in the sense that I'd rather get more footage than I need. Yes, and then edit it down. And like the last time, I had about I think it was six hours, and I got it down to eighteen minutes, right. which is I, it, a lot of it was crap. I'll be honest, right? Mm. But it was learning how to use the camera as well. Yeah, that yeah. was coming in handy. But if you've set yourself that thing of because you know you'll hate yourself for not oh, delivering yeah. it every time I miss it, that's really important. I think that's that's the thing that's useful is is finding ways to hold yourself to, to hate yourself, the, the, <laughs> hold yourself to account yeah. to to because if you say I really want to get a script written by the end of July and you don't, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. It really doesn't matter. Did you work? Yes. Did you pay the bills? Yes. Have, have you been on this? Sorry, there's a web, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but there's a mm. website. I can't remember the name of it, but I'll find it for you if you're interested. Where it's it's. I love stakes in things, right? Mm-hmm. As in, like if you make a yeah, if you yeah. make a stake, and what you do is you pledge to donate money to a charity or a cause that you hate, right? And if you don't achieve your target. It will take the money oh, out of your yes, account. I had heard something yeah. about that. So, like, yeah. you can go, I will give £500 to the BMP if I don't yeah. make this script by this time. Wow. And it's so good. That's actually it, very good. It really gets you motivated. Oh, that's, that's a good idea. Because that is the problem. That is the problem. And I do think that. That um, you really hate yourself the next day if you don't get it. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not missed a deadline yet. <laughs> well, I, I now I'm thinking about it. The tweet notes, even the tweet notes, because the tweet notes take me an hour or two to do, because it takes about an hour to write them and post them, and it takes about another hour of often of feedback and and because I like the conversation that comes yeah. after it as much as I like. Oh, that's another thing, actually. By the way, I'm not doing tweet notes at the moment because Twitter's dead. It's only talking about Brexit. It's so and it, and reasonably, it's angry because we've got three good jokes out of that. We've, have you right, three. I'm not sure it was worth it. I'm it not sure the price it. was it worth wasn't paying. Worth it. Do you know I go up now and I say, you know, I've written three really good jokes because that's the only growth area in the industry. At the <laughs> but you're being paid less to produce them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I'm aware of the irony. Your, in, your income is worth less than yeah, it yeah, used yeah. to be. But um, you've got to adjust, haven't you? The, <laughs> to the media. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a very upsetting set of circumstances. Oh, God, I hate but, it. But I, I, I really want to do my tweet notes on, on Warcraft, the Warcraft movie, but I already mm. know that me, me shoving up my opinion of Warcraft in the middle of this argument mm. that's going on you might as well not be yeah. there. Usually if we po- we, we posted, um, you know, people should ask questions because I'm doing this podcast. 
all right, nobody's interested in me. That's one possibility. The other possibility is the Brexit conversation is so loud yeah. at the moment, nobody really wants to... Usually things that I would get a huge response to or a decent response to, nothing. Yeah. Um, the, the, the tide is moving so fast. The, the flow of that is so fast, and it's so full of, of two arguments, two sides of one argument, actually. Um, anyway, but one of the things I have found is if I tweet... I'm going to be looking at tw- doing tweet notes on this film next Thursday. And I tweet that three times over the course of the week before. I will absolutely yeah, yeah, provide yeah, yeah. it. If I haven't tweeted that, I keep nudging it and nudging it and nudging it down the schedule. Do you have Hootsuite? No. Get that. It schedules tweets. So what I do is right. if I want to do a deadline thing and I'm counting down to it, like, oh, new video out in two days, I put it in. Right. So when I log into Twitter and I go to my notifications, you know, you have a few people <laughs> starring or whatever, you go, oh, people are waiting. Yeah, people <laughs> are waiting. People are waiting. Per- person is waiting. Uh, right, okay, these are the final quickfire All questions. Right, They're quickfire for me. You take as long as you like to answer them. What is, uh, actually, already kind of answered this one, but what is the most interesting thing you do that nobody ever gets to see? Oh, script editing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because nobody ever, nobody ever knows. Uh, who is the most underrated person in the TV industry? Actually, you know what? I'm going to say Jason Hazley and Joel Morris, the comedy co-writer. I mean, they're they're kind of well known within the industry as brilliantly, brilliantly funny people. Um, but they're always behind somebody else. I feel like they, you know, they write a load of great stuff for Charlie Brooker, and everyone goes, "That's Charlie Brooker's great stuff." And don't get me wrong, Charlie Brooker's amazing. Um, but I feel like they're doing really good stuff all the time, and I don't hear anyone mention their names. And I feel like that's. There are a pair of names that should be mentioned. Uh, what is the biggest problem in the TV industry and how would you go about solving it? Uh, working for free is being asked to do development and work for free. Oh, man, we really like this idea that you pitched. Could you go away and just turn it into a, into a pitch, full-on pitch document? We did like the pitch document. We had some thoughts. Could you go away and just write us a first draft of a script? Could you just write us a half hour? Yeah, we quite like the half hour, but we don't think it's ready to take to the channels yet. Could you just do some rewrites on it before... The amount of times writers are asked to do the thing that they do professionally for nothing. Um, and I get that that's because, you know, channels are playing for fewer half hours and fewer scripts and production companies have had to suck that up. So now they're trying to find ways to develop, which is cheaper and the thing. But you sort of have to find the time to hold your nerve. Like everyone does some a bit for free to show goodwill. But if you're writing full half hours all the time prescriptively to someone else's, by all means, go and write your own specs for free. That's exactly how it's supposed to work. But... This thing of being asked to do work, 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 work for very little, for nothing often, on the chance of hope. Because what you will find is, if you say, I tell you what, you said you loved this idea and you were really behind it. So we won't do, we've done two drafts. We won't do another rewrite unless you pay for that rewrite. If they won't pay for the rewrite, they didn't love it that much. Like, it's a really clear sign of how they were willing to to develop it for free on the off chance that you suddenly made it exactly what somebody wanted because it didn't cost them anything. If it cost them something, you know where their intention really is. Yeah, totally. Um, Do you have any advice for someone who's writing a pitch? For writing a pitch? um, Get it all up front. Get it it very clear in your head what the main character's big problems are whoever they are if it's around one character then them if it's the Britas Empire or whatever or if it's an ensemble piece then all of them but know what their problems are and then when you pitch the comedy don't say you know where it's set or don't give a fucking character biography this guy went to school for this age then he went to university nobody cares tell me who he is in that scene and why him getting into that lift with those people turns into a funny scene I know why George Costanza getting into a crowded lift 
gets funny really quickly because there's something about how he's going to react to being nudged and jostled and feeling uncomfortable or being short even in a lift situation with a tight like you can you can if you can see the rest of the scene because the first bit was really clear if you give me George Costanza in two lines and then say so he gets in this lift and they're already smiling set up and pay off. I mean, that's how these things work. Expectation, grasping it really quickly. Don't give me setting. Don't tell me that the, you know, the, the, the local flea market is a really cool setting for a sitcom. Tell me why this person being in a flea market is funny and would generate story after story after story. Come and watch my holiday videos. Come and watch my, my family photographs. Come on. No, no, I've got a TV show we've made up. Come on, watch that. Well, now, no, no, but you owe me now. Now that I've watched your blaps, you've got to give me script notes on my... God damn it. <laughs> oh, I walked into that one. Oh, no, no, right. Let's let's be serious. So yeah. I've, I've watched all... There, there are three. Of, are there going to be more or just three? That's three. The three blaps that we've we've done in the hopes that it will encourage people to think there's a show in that. Right. And in terms of... So how did I even... Like, how did they even come about? Cause... Well, the show is the show was created. the 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 initial idea for for Outsiders was come up with by Beth and Gorman, who who had this great idea. You, I imagine you know Beth because Dave, Dave Gorman's, Gorman's wife. wife. Yeah, um, I don't know her, but I but she's know a her. you know she's a, a a brilliant and creative mind. And she she came up with this idea of well, what if you could get comics from not the the UK and lock them in a flat together and do an improv comedy well the problem with that is they won't come up with a plot they will sit there and do jokes at each other or whatever and you need some formal structure around that to make it a show so she brought me on and then she actually went she went, she had a baby so we moved and Henry took over as producer and Anne's amazing and she's the one who found this particular cast and put it together so we've got these amazing people in it we all, we interviewed more people than are, than are in the show because what you were looking for was personalities who would clash who would basically hand you a sitcom ready made with a caricatured version of who they actually are one of the questions we ended up finding really useful was what exactly is wrong with you and if Jamali knows he quite likes to chuck a hand grenade into the conversation just to see what happens well that's a useful trait for the guy who's on the sofa probably not paying the proper rent everyone's got a little bugbear or, or and they all come up with different ways of, of approaching this version of who they are and how far removed it is from them like Mae Martin's come in with uh, her character's called Min. She's the only one who's not using her own name for the character, and it's because her character's just a little bit further away from um, who she is. Yeah, I, I really like. I it's gonna be a weird edit. Yeah, I I know their on stage persona, and I know their backstage persona yeah. enough that I feel like, uh, particularly uh, Jamali and Sophie. Yeah. They're, they're being themselves mm-hmm. in a way that I think a lot of comedians would love to be in a sitcom because it means they you know it's just it's just it comes naturally well, to them and it looks and from and fluid. from my point of view what one of the reasons you bring them we brought them in to have these conversations about who they were and what sort of what was wrong with them and also what they wanted to do performance wise to find out how they would clash and how that would give us a show that really functioned underneath all of that though is is my entirely selfish desire to have a staff of really good writers because what this essentially is because it's improvised but it's also led by written down scripts because we make this kind of the way the best example we've been able to come up with is if Mike Lee did a sitcom because we rehearse them all workshop it all with stories that I've already given them so there's prescribed story direction they go off and then that goes off on tangents story directions you wouldn't have expected blah 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 blah. but also some stuff stays exactly on point and you take all of the stuff that we had we had a live transcriber getting it all down on paper so I would take all of the transcripts back hours and hours of transcripts and find the kind of the, the six minute draft 
drafts that would really work using that material, writing bits of my own stuff, da, 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 da. and then that goes back to them, and hopefully that's dialogue that they're doing that they would they believe they would say because we wrote it down the way they said it the first time for the most part. But it's very structured, it's very ordered, and it means that everybody's throwing in jokes. It's almost like having an individual writer for each character. We, I think we only moved one line from one character to another character, and even then the punchline on it was different. Well, the, the third one in particular was my favourite out of all of them. Right. Because it felt more like... And I, and I don't feel like I've got to know the characters any more than I than I would have done if I just watched that mm-hmm. first, at first, if that makes sense. Right. What I liked about it was they were all having different conversations that were linked somehow. Yeah. And so as a result, at the end, I, I, I can say the end line because it's not going to help anyone mm-hmm. to get rid of anything. When Jamali just goes, I've got a new room. Yeah. Right. It, that hit with me and I really liked the fact that that brought together about four conversations. I mean, that third one for sure is linked by theme. That mm-hmm. one is, is every everybody gets mugged and they react differently to yeah. it and they get mugged in a manner that is befitting their character yeah. it's a way of exploring all of that and then yes you want to get to a finish that sort of ties everybody's threads together yeah. that to me is that's an A, B and C plot but it's an A, B, C plot with five minutes and yeah. it's very rare to try and do <laughs> three plots in five minutes so I guess what I guess what it is is I've desperately tried to apply sitcom logics mm. to all of this and I don't mean sitcom in the pejorative sense of oh god that's such a sitcom idea but literally the idea idea of a satisfying story where you get the beginning middle and end where you push characters through something a bit it's really hard to do in five minutes and they get more ambitious so the first one's mostly on one topic although there are sort of two stories running simultaneously but by the time that you get to that third one every almost everyone's got something going on and you try and pull it together at the end but the fact that it feels like it works in five minutes is maybe the thing that feels least like a sitcom because sitcoms are half an hour long we watch them and they're 20 minutes american sitcoms are 20 minutes and and maybe that will work against us my worry is that everyone will go well this kind of works as five minute shorts no 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 I want to do I want to do half hours this is the whole built thing is is designed to make make it half hours I don't want it to be an online thing but that's where we've got to start this yeah. is the, the way of pitching the show and pitching the characters and the world so so someone else had the concept yeah you got the, you got the cast on board that kind of fit the concept yeah I was yeah. and they improvised your plot essentially mm-hmm. because as best as, as much as we're not having got anyone in the yeah, cast yeah. they don't do plots they do joke yeah so I mean is it a case of you just yeah. let them have free reign? How is it even mine at all? Well, no, not just no, that. it's a good question. Not just that. I mean, do you, do you say to them, right, the end joke's this, the start bit's this, well, work your way towards that? That's what the scripts are for. Because what you... And in fact, we had one story of the three that kind of collapsed as we tried it because the they weren't taking to it in quite the way that, that I wanted to because they didn't feel it was true for bits of their right. character and whatever. And and so we started... And, and that was with the visa form and stuff. So I, I we started kind of guiding it. All right, we'll have an argument about that. Well, hang on, what if Jamali comes in... And you start these little what if questions, yeah. and you find where the where the connections are. You find where what what influence one thing will have on another. So while they're just enjoying riffing on the moment, making fun of each other, and doing the things that they do, I'm I'm sat one step back, going, "Oh, this could be the worst possible time for this to happen." Like if you're trying to fill out your visa form, the idea that Jamali of all people, that that character is is trying to help you do that form, he's the worst person because he just thinks this is a laugh. It's your actual visa, and he's just having a laugh with it. And I, you suddenly, ah, oh, well, hang on, that means I know exactly how Yasmin's going to feel about that because her thing is, can we not organise things properly, please? Can we not do things the way they're supposed to be done? She gets that there are stakes. He doesn't care that there are stakes. All right, well, how do you get him to shut up? What's people's motive? And all of this came out of bits of improv, but also a lot of the writing on that one was their separate pieces of interrogating Jamali's history and ethnicity and whatever, which is boy howdy, so contemporary. 
territory now in a way we never expect. And then I sorry, and then I t- then I take it all back to the hovel and try to turn it into a script. And you suddenly realise if you move that bit there and that bit there, it becomes a motivated action and a set of choices. And we have to stop him ruining her life. You know, so it, it, it sounds like like you said, it's sort of a writing. It's a, it's a it's a sketch writing a flow to what you're doing because you're sort of letting everyone have their own input, mm-hmm. but at the same token, you've got veto over it in case it doesn't quite work. And I think that's how, the only way you get anything down ever is that somebody's got to have a kind of overriding perspective on the whole thing. And that's what I was that's what I was hired to do was to make sure it had stories, make sure that the character dynamics were good. It's why when we cast it, I was involved with the casting because there's no point just slinging five comics together because they might three of them might have the same kind of vibe, or even if they're different, they might be different in ways that aren't useful. What we know is we've got characters who will definitely stand their ground and characters who don't care and will yield to the ground and we've got characters who are naive and childlike and characters who are very savvy and clued in and you you what you would hope happens is any combination of these five characters if you lock any two of them in a bathroom for an hour something funny will come out of that dialogue it's, and like you were saying before with differences in characters and their motivations mm. you went the other way in a way to find that where you said what is wrong with you yeah. so that you can kind of reverse engineer that in a weird way because it means that you you have them everyone's worst feature is their motivation in life to hide or to run away from or to that's a great point yeah do you know what I mean yeah like yeah. like a lot of my stand up I, I mine the, so basically if I feel bad about something in my life yeah. I want to tell everyone about it so that I don't feel bad about it anymore <laughs> and I also want them not to feel bad about it anymore so mm-hmm. like with that fight club joke I, I don't feel like I'm living my, right. new, my new show is all about trying to look at my past to find out where I went wrong so I can find out where I felt alive and get back to that yes right and I think that's a very typical thing for a millennial to feel yeah and, and someone maybe who's just turned 40 wow, and, but but it's but it's that that if you start with the the thing I can re- I can reverse engineer a joke that way mm-hmm. in that I go right I'm not living what's the thing that everyone relates to living what's the thing go that way whereas it feels like you went right what is their not problem what's their yeah. thing that would drive them to and, and then and then when like you said with Jamali where his thing is like he just likes to throw grenades into mm-hmm. conversations well his his that is his ne- that is his trait where he's like you know he knows that he does that and yeah. it's not a good thing for conversation so you so you sort of go that and go backwards and go right who is the worst person to have a grenade being thrown at them right now absolutely a Canadian trying to come to England yeah. there's also something really nice about the fact that if he's someone who pretends that nothing matters who acts like oh it's just your visa yeah. what do I care if it's, you know that there's stakes to nothing getting that guy wound up about something he takes that he takes too seriously because yeah. he doesn't take nothing seriously he yeah. t- he takes the fact that and it's such a again it's so un- uncomfortably timely but the fact that he's the, the Brit that gets mistaken for a foreigner in a flat full of actual foreigners that he actually h- holds that as important and they tap into that and wind him up it's yeah. his own it's getting a taste of your own medicine which is a very good old sitcom you can see like from the way because the, the authenticity in him that you can see that he's had to put up with that a lot yeah and that he clearly like and, and the weird thing about that for me is, especially in the current political climate is a lot of people hold their British identity quite dear to them and he does it in a way that you don't feel is so in some people you see BMPSness mm-hmm. to it or you see a national pride element to it he's not see, for me anyway I didn't feel like he did it in a way that he's like proud to be British he just wants to know that people know it's, that's yeah. where he's from yeah. he doesn't care where he's, he was born yeah. uh, in terms of like you know I, I don't care that my mum birthed me in this country mm-hmm. but I would be really annoyed if everyone kept saying you're French right yes Do you know what I mean yeah like, absolutely yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely no I love watching him a guy who who tries to get a rise out of everybody else mm. that they spend a that 
the heart second half of the episode trying to get a rise out of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the, those pivots, those those switches. It's like Sophie going for the gun when she's somebody who's just told you that she's definitely anti-gun and she does. It's no way to make a point and it's no way to get something yeah. done. And so she grabs one and uses it because she'd rather win the argument than morally win the argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I like that. I'm 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 hoping that those things are going to come across. That was Andrew. As you can tell, I got really animated in that. I'm really excited not only to see his blaps before anyone else, but also that he i'm writing a sitcom and and i'm excited about that project and uh, i'll actually i'll actually link to the facebook group for that writing project it's called um it's called simon and amy's conversations it will make sense if you click through the link you'll understand why that's the name of the group but um i really liked how honest he was and how humble he was and how self-aware he was of the first project he did and why it went wrong and how he learnt from his mistakes and how people in power don't just want yes men and just, just everything he said really resonated with me in so many different ways so I can't thank him enough if you would like to support him please do go and look at his blaps uh, they are linked on my show notes or in the pod notes and or you can find them on the on-demand player just type in comedy blaps into google and I'm sure they'll come up if you want to talk to him his website is andrewellard.com and if you if you have any work that you would like help with or scripts you'd like editing, he is the man to go to. As I said before, if you can become a patron from as little as $1 an episode or month, you can put a cap on it. It's not a problem. Every little bit helps. I'd really like to get that over $100, if I'm honest, by the end of the second year. So we're about a third of the way there now. So if you've been listening for a while and you can support us, if you can support me and the project in general, that would be amazing. I'm I'm putting all the money basically straight back in. It's just essentially stopping me from having such a shortfall on my own financial Im- input for this. So if you can help, please do. If you can't help out financially, I totally get it. It's the end of the fringe. We've all spent loads of money, and I understand it. Um, I'm directing this mainly at comics, but if you if you if you're a audience member as well and you've gone to the fringe, I imagine you've spent quite a lot of money, and you might not have money to donate. Get that as well. Totally understand. But if you can share the episode with a friend who might be interested, that'd be great. Uh, Just let me know you've done it. I'd love to thank you. It's not bragging, by the way. If you're worried about sending me a link to a tweet or or just DMing me on something and saying, hey, by the way, I've shared this, it's not bragging. It's just letting me know that this happened so that I can thank you for doing it. I I don't mind you doing that. You, You don't have to tag me in it if you don't want to. But just let me know it's happened. So, yeah. And any and all support is greatly appreciated. I, I can't thank you all enough. This this project lives and dies on the audience, and you guys have been amazing. I can't be more thankful. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for donating if you do. Thank you very much for supporting me. And I will see you all in about 10 days' time. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.